Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week, we release another session from Micromobility America. This one is the interview with Wayne Ting, CEO of Lime, being interviewed by Julia Thane Demoldant from the Rocky Mountain Institute. Wayne was impassioned in his call for more recognition of micromobility and the role that it can play in our transport systems. Being in the audience, it was electric to watch. I really appreciate Wayne taking the lead here on trying to help reframe the narrative around the opportunities that exist for micromobility and the importance that they play in a low emissions future. I hope you enjoyed the session as much as we did. And here is Julia and Wayne. Let's go. We've made it. We are on our last discussion for today and it is one of our most interesting discussions because we're gonna talk about the life of Lime, a premier shared micromobility company across the world. Uh, and in order to do that, uh, in a second, I'm going to have Wayne Ting join me on the stage. Uh, Wayne joined Lime in 2018 as the global head of operations, so he really understands how to run a shared micromobility company. And he became the CEO a little more than a year, year and a half ago, in May 2020. Um, Wayne's focus since he uh, joined Lime has always been on operational excellence and also on the path to profitability, uh, making sure that the company is on its way towards its mission, shared, affordable, and carbon-free transportation future. What you're gonna hear from our conversation, though, is that Wayne's style of leadership stems from all of his past experiences. So at Uber, with the White House, at Bain and McKinsey, and as a founder. And if you're looking to read an interesting bio on Wikipedia, Wayne's bio is that. Um, so Wayne, please join me on the stage. Very happy to have this conversation with you and we'll sit down next to these lovely yellow flowers, which I'm sure were entirely intentional. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Wayne. Awesome, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, but thank you for being here. Wayne, we creatively titled the, this fireside chat, The Life of Lime. Yes. And I feel compelled that my first question is gonna have to be about where is Lime in its life as a company and how has that changed from when you started in 2018? Well, Lime is doing really well. Um, it's actually amazing to be back at Micromobility Conference because there's so many Lime teammates, former teammates here, uh, but it's been a journey since 2018. Um, and I, I know for the entire industry as well, certainly, you know, the, during the, uh, the pandemic was really, really difficult. Um, and when people don't leave their homes, don't go to work, there's no tourism, transportation doesn't do very well. Yeah. Um, but I think the incredible thing is, we also use that time to improve our margins, to grow the business, enter more markets. And today, Lime is bigger than ever. We're gonna have a record year on top line. We're gonna have a record year on bottom line. Um, but I think the most important thing, um, if I think about you know, Lime today, or maybe the industry today, is that I think the urgency of our mission feels more important today than ever before. Mm. The climate crisis is only worsening. Um, the, the number one source of carbon pollution in the United States and Europe is cars, is transportation, and the need to drastically reduce our reliance on cars and invest in micromobility force feels more urgent than ever. 
And so when I think about where Lyme is, I, I feel like we got through the hardest part that all of us could, we couldn't even dream up how difficult yeah. it was. And we came out stronger. And then now the thing we got to get done feels more important than ever before. Yeah. When you became CEO in May of 2020, you must, like, why did you take the job? You know, like, why, what, what made you say, like, this is going to be a good idea, and here are the next two things we need to do in order to sort of improve our odds of succeeding through this pandemic? So, so, I, so I, I was at Lime for two years before that. I, I ran operations at Lime. And, um, you know, you, you, when you, every year, every company, I'm sure, you do projections, you do top case, bottom case. You never do a case when 90% of your revenues goes away. Yeah. And, oh, that's not a thing that you do? Yeah, <laughs> you don't plan for that? Um, and, and, you know, and when I became CEO, we had to go through just some of the hardest stuff that any company would go through. We, we went through a down round, we went through layoffs. But, you know, your question, why did I take this job? I took this job because this industry needs to exist. Mm. Um, because the, the thing that we're all fighting for is bigger than one company, it's bigger than um, one person. And I wanted to do whatever I can to say, how do we get Lime through this moment? Because we got to get more cars off the road. And if Lime goes out of business, or frankly, any of our friends in the industry goes out of business, that makes it harder. So I was excited to take that on, and it was hard. Um, but I think the thing that was always amazing was that because the mission is what drives so many people who work at Lime to come to work every day, no one gave up. Through all the hardest moments of Lime, people doubled down, they fought harder, and we were able to get through it and be here today. Yeah. You said our friends in the business, and one of the things that I've been sort of hearing, maybe intuiting from uh, being at this conference, is that maybe there's not as much collaboration as is needed in the micromobility industry. So like, who are your friends? Who are your friends in the business? How are you starting to look at those collaborations across companies that are seemingly competitors? Yeah, awesome question. You know, I, I'm so glad to be here in part because I, I think too often within the micromobility industry, we see each other as competitors. You see each other between shared and personal ownership. You look at a, a bird or a tear or a voy or a veal and you think we're competing. But the truth is we're actually not because we, everybody, every day, the thing that we're fighting for is the same common goal to get more people out of cars into micromobility. We do have a competitor. It's cars. And frankly, they're kicking our butts. You go walk outside, we are losing the fight to bring about green transportation, and yet we spend so much of our time undercutting each other. We spend so much of our time racing to the bottom, agreeing to regulations that will help nobody. Doesn't help riders, doesn't help each other. Yeah. And I do think one of the most incredible things, and I'm seeing that now in the industry for the first time, is that we're taking a step back and saying, how do we work together? How do we collaborate on model regulation? Yeah. How, do we, how do we cheer each other on? Um, I want to see our friends in the industry succeed because we, without that, that support, we are going to fail because we are losing the fight against cars. We are losing the fight against um, um, electric vehicles that frankly aren't even that green. Um, and if we don't come together as an industry, I think we're going to find ourselves failing in that all important mission, which is how do we decarbonize transportation and how do we decarbonize it fast? Mm, interesting. So the common enemy is the car. But at the same time, instead of making friends with the other micromobility players, you could have made friends with a car company or with car companies. Do you see it as productive to be sort of anti-car or do you think it's more helpful to, I don't know, figure out, and we were talking about this on an earlier panel, a way to hold hands with, with car companies and do, you know, figure out what your overlapping interests are? So I, I, so I think um, 
I, I think for us to get to where we need to go, we need to have an honest conversation about cars. Yeah. And I don't think we are. Yeah. Um, um, if you look at the number one source of carbon pollution, it's transportation. The vast majority of that, 70 plus percent, comes from personal cars and trucks. And one of the biggest lies I think we keep on telling ourselves is that electric vehicles can solve all of our problems. It won't. Yeah. The reason why cars is the number one contributor to carbon pollution is because it's heavy. The average car is 4,000 to 5,000 pounds. So when I use a 5,000 pound tank to move a 200 pound human, all the energy is in moving the tank. Yeah. That's the fundamental problems. And no amount of electrification can solve that math. In fact, I think one of the biggest problems with um, electric cars today is that because we've told ourselves this lie that if you buy an electric vehicle, you've done everything, you're an angel. We are now allowing ourselves to buy bigger and bigger and bigger electric cars. The F-150 Lightning that many liberals tout as the savior for, for um, green transportation weighs over 10,000 pounds, 10,000 pounds. The, the latest Hummer electric vehicle has a battery that weighs more than almost any car you can drive. A Honda Civic, yeah. Than a Honda Civic. <laughs> yeah. And the majority of the world's electricity is not green. Mm. The number one source for carbon pollution in the United States, in Europe, is transportation. Number two is electricity. 60% yeah. of electricity generation in China comes from coal. Comes from coal. Yeah. And if we keep on telling us this lie that electric cars is part of what's gonna create green transportation, we're gonna go further and further down and consume more and more and going towards a solution that fundamentally doesn't resolve and doesn't reduce carbon emissions fast enough yeah. and broadly enough. Yeah. The, the move to electric vehicles in China today is worsening the climate crisis mm. because the majority of electricity in China comes from coal. And so, we got to have this honest conversation. Yeah. I would love to hold hands with car companies, <laughs> but not at the expense of the truth. And that's frankly the truth. Yeah. And the only way to solve carbon emissions for transportation is to reduce our reliance on cars and embrace public transportation mm -hmm. and green transportation alternatives like everything we're working on here. Yeah. And let's talk about green transportation alternatives. So one of the things I find interesting about Lime as a company is... I mean, you're this model, right? Like you have multiple form factors that you're offering as part of your shared uh, business model. So when you think about sustainability, not just at like the car replacement level, but really at the actual vehicle level, how does you know the sustainability of the vehicle itself square with the fact that you've got these multiple form factors? How are you thinking about that? Well, one of the things I'm, I'm really proud of is that, um, you know, I think because Lime is the, the, the biggest player in the industry, we're, we're fortunate enough that we can actually design our own hardware. Yeah. So we design from scratch our e-bikes, our scooters. We have a new product called Citro, which is a lightweight um, um, moped. And because we're able to design our own scooters, we get to design it for the things we care about. Mm -hmm. And things like sustainability, reliability, things like how long does it last. You know, and I, I know there's manufacturers here, but um, I think that there is a conflict when you buy outside of your company because if my business is to sell you julia more scooters and e-bikes and spare parts maybe i'm not so inclined to make it last as long as possible mm. to consume as few spare parts as possible because i want to sell you more scooters and e-bikes yeah my business is not to sell more scooters yeah. and e-bikes my business is to keep that e-bike on the road mm. to be as green as possible to last as long as possible when it breaks to be as easy to fix as possible so that investment in hardware 
is fundamentally why I think when you look at things like profitability, yeah. uh, when you think when you think of things like our, our our carbon footprint and impact, Lime is ahead of the game relative to where the rest of the industry is, yeah. and we're going to continue to invest in new modes and um, and greener modes hmm. because the more green, the more sustainable our modes get, the better we do. Yeah. We have a fundamental alignment of interest that I think is opposite when we're buying from outside manufacturers. Yeah. I'm gonna go a little off script here, but um, one of the things that you're making me think of as you're talking about sort of like vertical in integration and owning your supply chain is just the number of micromobility companies we have right now and whether and when there's gonna be consolidation. And I mean that both on the supply side and then also just you know in terms of um, consumer vehicles. What do you think? When is there gonna be consolidation or is there gonna be consolidation? Um, you know, I, I think the industry is probably in a perfect spot for some consolidation. I think that you have, you have, frankly, a, a macro, you know, market, pub, you know, private public funding market that's not quite there. Mm. Um, and I think as long as companies come together and that mission stays, it's probably a good thing. You know, I think we had the opportunity to merge with Jump. I, I, I ran into some former uh, Jump colleagues here, and that made us stronger because it allowed us to get access to an e-bike technology and platform while doubling down on our core e-scooter transportation. And, at, and the combination of the two is a stronger company that has a more likelihood of succeeding. I think today there's probably too much fragmentation in micromobility. And as a result, we're, we're, we have this race to the bottom because it is in a narrow interest. You want to win the next RFP. Therefore, you agree to lots of things that doesn't make any yeah. sense. I think in a more consolidated industry, we're going to have a bigger chance of actually achieving our goal because the, the fewer, stronger players have a bigger chance of succeeding and staying around for the long run. So is Lime going to be the one that rules them all? I mean, is this, the, is this partly the goal? I, I, I don't think anybody will ever rule micromobility yeah. because just look at all the companies here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but I, I certainly think Lime is the leader, is one of the leaders in this space, and we're going to continue to invest and be, to stay the leader in this space. Yeah. You uh, mentioned something that's kind of like a tension between the fact that there's not as much funding as there needs to be for micromobility companies to get off their feet, off and running, up to scale. Um, and at the same time, there's an intense pressure for micromobility companies already to be profitable. So in your opinion, you know, like how do you square those two things? This need for funding, but also pressure to be profitable from the beginning? And what do you think it's gonna take for the industry to be self-sustaining? Yeah, I, I, think, I think first, the push for profitability is probably a good thing for the industry. Um, I, I think there's been, a lot of capital, not just in our industry, but for many other industries. And, and that's good because it allows you to invest and innovate, take chances, but it also sometimes fails to create the type of discipline that we're gonna have to get to over the long run. There is no greater impact we can have than there's when the day comes when we can actually fund our own growth and our own investments without having to go back to the public markets or private markets every six months to raise more money. Yeah. Sustainability has to be the goal. And there's many things we're going to do to, to get there on sustainability. We've invested a ton in hardware that lasts longer, that costs cheaper to build, but it's also about improving our own operations. Um, you know, how much time does it take to charge a scooter, to fix a scooter? How many people do we need to actually operate this vehicle? We continue to improve operationally. But I'll say a third thing that is critical to getting self-sustaining is we need better regulations. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the challenges with the industry today is the race to the bottom on regulations. Um, you know, in the city of Miami, the average scooter 
um, trip per mile is charged 50 times the taxes we charge an equivalent That's car. That's crazy. Yeah. 50 times. Yeah. How in the world could we make money if we agree to that type of bad regulations? Yeah. And when you ask people, well, why is it? There's, we're using the roadway. Absolutely, we gotta contribute to helping pay for the roadway. But it is not the abundance of scooters and e-bikes that is creating the cracks in the usage yeah. that is yeah. parking, creating yeah. parking issues and congestion issues. We're agreeing to that sort of taxation when it is fundamentally harmful to the consumer because ultimately that gets passed on to the consumer and it makes fewer people adopt micromobility. I'll give you another example and I, I apologize for saying this because I know there are people here working on this. One of the big pushes is let's add a camera to every scooter and e-bike. And I apologize if you're working on this. I think there is no worse idea in the history of micromobility than adding cameras to every single scooters and e-bikes. The average camera is $100. And then when you ask the regulator, they say, well, we want to know where you are at all times. We want to look at where you are going. And my question is, do we, when was the last time we, we have we ever required that of yeah. cars? Yeah. You know, if the issue is safety, it is not car, it is not scooters and e-bikes that are creating safety issues on the street. Cars killed 1.3 million people last year. We don't have the same requirement yeah. of a camera on every yeah. single car. Yeah. And when you add that camera on a scooter or e-bike, you make it harder for us to get to sustainability. Yeah. So we gotta improve operations, we gotta improve hardware, but we got to get better on regulations. We cannot agree to 50 times the taxes relative to a car. Yeah. Because when we do that, we make it harder for this industry to stick around for the long run. Yeah, yeah. This message about the real impact of cars, what they do on streets, whether electric vehicles are actually a solution to the climate crisis, I want, I want you to answer two questions. It's like, first of all, who are we lying to? Like, who, who are, you know, who's sort of believing this? And the second is, who's, you know, and, and whose hearts and minds do we need to change? So first question, whose hearts and minds do we need to change? And the second question is, who needs to be delivering that message? Like, is it important who says that and how loud they say it and what platform they have? You know, what, what are your thoughts? You're saying, your question was, who, who needs to deliver the message that cars actually will not yeah. solve? And who needs to hear it? Yeah, I, I, I think all of us should say it. Um, you know, the hardest thing that for many politicians, for, for any of us to do, is to go to a voter and say, for us to get to where we need to go on climate change, you gotta fundamentally change your life. That's hard. It's much easier to say, you're doing amazing. You know what, that, that, that big truck you drive, just drive a bigger electric truck and yeah. you did it. Yeah. Great job. Yeah. And you see this in legislation. Um, I, and when we were chatting earlier, you look at the Inflation Reduction Act. No subsidies for green transportation, no subsidies for e-bike manufacturers, billions of subsidies for electric vehicles. And, and one of the challenges, because I, I suspect many people who are in this industry are on the left and more liberal, there are so many good things in the Inflation Reduction Act. But on, on green transportation, it's an abysmal failure. And we gotta call out our friends on the left for having absolutely shit the bed on green transportation. I, I had a fortune of being in government early in my career. I worked at a National Economic Council. Um, and the reason why we have subsidies is there, there are many reasons. You, you sometimes want to catalyze an industry that themselves cannot raise private or public money. Or sometimes there are, there are industries where they can't make the economics work. So you want to subsidize it to make the economics work. Or sometimes you want to help people most in need, lower 
social economic class to access something. Every way you look at this, this does the opposite. No industry has raised more money in the last five years than the electric vehicle company. The richest guy in the world is the guy who owns the EV company. That, that company that he owns makes billions of dollars in profits. And the primary people who drive EVs are rich people. And, and yet, despite that, we're pumping in billions of subsidies into that industry that raises more money than anybody else, that makes billions of dollars, that primarily subsidizes, including used cars. You can sell a used car to get a $4,000 tax credit. That money is going straight to the pockets of the very wealthy people who don't need that subsidy. Yeah. We gotta call our friends out when things like this happen. Because if all we do is praise the Inflation Reduction Act, and there are many things to praise, we miss a bigger conversation yeah. on, is that the right way to have run that bill? Yeah. It is an absolute travesty what they did on green transportation. And frankly, we would not have benefited from a credit for e-bikes, but so many people would. Yeah. Primarily the people, the citizens who want to access green transportation, want to buy an e-bike, but can't afford it themselves. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about, like, say you got all the micromobility companies in a, in a room or, you know, around a, a Zoom. Um, what are the two, three, four policies that you would say, these are the ones that we have to advocate for? Like, this is what you need to be saying, full stop. What I would actually say is, you know, I, I think as, a, as an industry, as a person, as anybody, we should always take criticisms mm -hmm. and reflect on where we can improve. But I would actually say too often, our industry, micromobility generally, we concede on points that are fundamentally false. And I want us to stand up and say, that ain't true, and we're not gonna concede that point. I'll give you a couple. Um, safety. Every time I go and talk to a city official, they say, what about safety? So unsafe. And we sometimes say, oh yes, we, you know, and of course we gotta build safer scooters and e-bikes, but scooters and e-bikes are fundamentally safe. It only goes 15 miles per hour. 95% of the serious fatalities that happen on an e-bike is because a car comes and kills you. Imagine you're a pedestrian, you're walking on the street, and a car comes and hits you and kills you. Do we ask that pedestrian, how do you make walking more safe? Do we blame that pedestrian for walking? Yeah. Or do we say, how do we slow down cars? How do we build a wider sidewalks? How do we ensure that we don't have a 10,000 pound tank driving down a school neighborhood? We've got to stop conceding on safety. I can go full speed at you in a scooter at 50 miles per hour. I'm going to do you up. Please don't. Please yes. don't. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not going to create a type of serious fatalities that yeah. they talk about. Micromobility is fundamentally safe. Two, parking. I get asked all the time, why don't, you know, you got to solve the parking issue. Scooters are parked everywhere. I get tagged on social media all the time. Like, get this e-bike out of my street. And they would have a, 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 a line e-bike. Behind it, a thousand cars mm -hmm. lined back to back to back to back. They don't see the cars. Yeah. They only see that e-bike. Yeah. If you look at the city of San Francisco across all the operators, we have 5,000 e-bikes and e-scooters. There's 400,000 cars. Each car, I can put eight e-bikes. And so yeah. come and say clutter is a challenge of this industry. Yeah. My question is compared to what? Yeah. We're the ones cluttering the streets. I have no city in the world do I see an abundance of e-bikes. Maybe Amsterdam and, and Copenhagen, it's great. 
but no city in the world, in the United States, it is because of the overabundance of e-bikes and e-scooters that's causing parking issues. And yet we concede that point. Yeah. I, I can go on and on, on, on carbon, we just talked about it. We concede the point that yes, there's, there's a solution by buying electric vehicles as well. No, there ain't. There is not a solution out of this climate crisis if all we did is buy bigger and bigger, bigger electric trucks. We gotta start walking with confidence and challenging these falsehoods if we're gonna have a chance with this industry. Yeah, yeah, well, um, Wayne, I know that we gotta get you to your flight on time, and so I'm gonna give you the last word here and then say a huge thank you to you for closing out this conference. And I really want you to talk a little bit about um, the fact that Lyme has done so much in order to improve access across the board to people for micromobility. And I wonder, you know, what's your challenge to the industry around providing micromobility for all, around providing equitable access to micromobility? Yeah, that is such an important question because I think for micromobility to reach our true challenge, we cannot be an industry just for white boys. <laughs> um, and nothing, nothing wrong with white boys. Love white boys. But, but if you, look at, if you yeah. look at the... <laughs> Primary people who use micromobility, it's very male, it's very young, mm. it's more affluent. We've got to do more to increase access on a gender perspective, on an age perspective, on socioeconomically into different neighborhoods. And you know, and I think there, there are several things that matter. Uh, one is, of course, price. And so we do things like Lyme Access, where people who are on food stamps will give you a 70, 80% discount so that people of different socioeconomic class can access micromobility. But price alone is not enough. It also matters where we deploy. Because you can have a discount, but if it's not deployed in your neighborhood, it doesn't matter. One of the biggest challenges of transportation historically is that we have underserved black and brown communities in city after city, neighborhood after neighborhood. When I was growing up, you couldn't get a taxi leaving Manhattan. They would kick you off to the side of the road. You can't even get a taxi. We cannot be that industry. And we got to be deploying, not just in wealthy downtown neighborhoods, rich neighborhoods, but we got to make sure we're bringing our micro-ability into black and brown communities and all socioeconomic classes. And then we got to in innovate on mode. Mm. The reason why, when we talk to many of our writers and we talk to women writers, and they say, I don't always feel safe. We talk to older writers, they don't always feel safe. How do we build the next generation of micromobility that gives people the sense of comfort? We just launched this product called Citro. It's a moped competitor, but we designed it with a women rider uh, in mind. Yep. And they said, we, we want it to be lighter. We want it to sit lower to the ground. Mm -hmm. I want to not feel like I'm like crossing <laughs> over because that's not what, how you want to sure. potentially get on a, a vehicle. And, and our question is, can we build a scooter, an e-bike, a micromobility future where somebody who's in their 50s and 60s, a woman and a man both feel equally, um, have the same level of access to it. If we start to solve these issues, we're gonna be able to not just solve the carbon challenge, but we're gonna truly bring more folks, more people onto this platform and join this most important um, industry around micromobility. Amazing, well I think that's a beautiful note to end this on. Thank you again so much. Please join me in thanking Wayne for closing out this conference in such an enthusiastic and energetic way. I'm going to let you uh, get to your Thank plane. You so much, yeah. Thank you again. Thank you. Yeah.